Hello and welcome to Rewildology, the nature podcast that explores the human side of conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. Wow, a lot has happened since the last time I did an Into the Headlines episode, and I've been holding on to a few topics that I wanted to discuss with you all. First, the end of greenwashing, possibly very exciting, and second, updates from CITES on African carnivores, and then some other fun updates for some nice and warm and fuzzies. So first, let's talk about greenwashing. I've wanted to cover this topic for a very long time, and I've had it listed in my solo episode list for a, <laughs> for a very long time and finally have the perfect opportunity to talk about this. So what triggered this conversation was in May of this year, The Guardian sent a newsletter, which subject line was the end of climate friendly marketing. I immediately clicked on the email to see if my greenwashing episode finally had an ending or beginning, if that makes any sense. So according to the authors of the newsletter, Ellen Ormesher and Patrick Greenfield, I hope I pronounced Ellen's name correctly, in their corresponding article, quote, greenwashing era is over, say ad agencies as regulars get tough. UK and EU ad agencies are cracking down on the climate-friendly claims companies are allowed to make, finally. There's a specific practice that I want to focus our attention on, carbon credits. Instead of tackling sustainability issues head-on, countless companies are partnering with carbon credit firms that promise to offset the carbon emissions that the company produces. When I first heard of this concept, I thought, wow, what a genius and innovative solution. But the more I learned about how carbon credits, quote unquote, work, the more skeptical I became. Just in case you haven't had the chance to study carbon credits in detail, how they basically work more or less is a company that produces carbon emissions will either hire someone internally or externally to calculate the amount of carbon produced in their operations and then partner with a company that sells carbon credits to offset the carbon pollution they are emitting into the air. Yeah, just saying that out loud, you might be able to start to see where some of the holes are, but I'm gonna explain them a little further. So these green companies are able to sell credits by creating carbon negative projects, such as replanting a forest, bringing electricity to an underserved community through renewable resources, or restoring wetlands that sequester carbon and offer a sustainable food source for local communities. And so, a carbon positive company will pay money to the carbon negative company to hopefully reach a carbon neutral state. In theory, this system sounds wonderful. However, as pointed out by Bomford et al. in a paper recently published in Science called Credit Credibility Threatens Forests, these calculations commonly overestimate the amount of carbon a project can offset and often don't include other negative impacts that an offsetting project generates. For example, if a timber operation is not allowed to cut down trees because the target forest is now part of a carbon project, then they'll simply go cut down a forest somewhere else. 
Additionally, when a carbon project ends and long-lasting protection measures are not in place, the forest it once protected is then at risk of being destroyed, thereby undoing all of the work the project originally set out to do. After digging further into the research, I found even more criticisms of several carbon offsetting programs. First, many projects don't properly address additionality. For example, let's say a project's goal is to protect forest land, but the forest the project protects was never in danger of being destroyed. Thereby, it doesn't provide any additional benefits to carbon reductions, which is needed if we are to have any hopes of reaching carbon neutrality in the coming decades. Experts have also listed issues with community conflict, inaccurate baselines, which carbon models are built on, and so on and so forth. So hopefully by now, you can see why I've been skeptical about carbon credits for a while now. And finally, we have peer-reviewed papers and media attention essentially calling out the carbon credit industry. To me, carbon credits are an easy out for companies to say they're green to appeal to today's consumer base without doing the hard work necessary to actually reduce their impact. I'd feel much better about carbon credits if a company purchased them only after they've done as much as they can to reduce carbon emissions from their operations and then purchase valid carbon credits to fill the gaps. Luckily, these pushbacks from the public are making top carbon credit organizations like Vera, a leader in environmental and social markets, reanalyze their verified carbon-centered program to see how they can improve. So even the top dogs are listening and making changes, which is awesome. <sighs> but until we move away from fossil fuels, which won't happen anytime soon, then it will be nearly impossible for industry as a whole to be carbon neutral. So how do I personally approach this carbon credit greenwashing problem in my day to day? When I'm searching for a product to buy, I do my best to select items that are made from recycled materials to help fuel a closed loop economy. Items are not recyclable if they're not worth anything. So by me giving my dollars to a company that spends the time and resources creating recycled products, I'm telling that industry that I want more of these products and not ones made from virgin materials. This isn't always possible, of course, but I do my best when given the option. A valid argument that might be growing in your mind directed to me is that I'm a huge supporter of conservation tourism. I've worked in the industry for years and I'm on a plane every chance I get to somewhere wild in the world. As we all know, flying generates a massive amount of carbon emissions, but here's how I look at it. If I or other nature travelers stop visiting these wild places, then the areas will be destroyed, causing significantly larger problems with biodiversity loss, fewer ecosystems for carbon sequestration, an increase in carbon emissions from the release of stored carbon, food and water supply destabilization, all of which accelerate climate change. Tourism, along with protective measures and community involvement, places a monetary value on these ecosystems. If tourists stop traveling, the Serengeti, Pantanal, and Galapagos Islands would almost certainly be destroyed, to name a few of our gem natural areas. Do these activities generate carbon? Yes. 
Can individual people buy carbon credits to offset their flights? Yes. And sure, by all means, do that. But also go outside and plant a tree in your backyard. The longer I'm in this line of work, the more I support planting native trees in our local communities to make real conservation impact. It's amazing how one small act, such as planting a tree, <laughs> can have such a huge positive impact. To continue on this train of thought, I recently listened to an interview on the Tim Ferriss show interviewing Seth Godin. And during that conversation, Seth proclaimed that he is never getting on a plane again and has kept to that proclamation. And he helped bring together a large group of people to write the Carbon Almanac. I bought the book immediately and plan to read it very soon. And so if I have a change of heart or learn something worth sharing, I'll be sure to let you all know. Okay, I didn't think I talk about carbon credits for that long, so I say let's move on, shall we? For the second part of today's conversation, I wanted to share a few conservation highlights that I found very interesting. So first, some exciting news. African carnivores received further protection through CITES. And if you haven't heard of CITES, it is the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. Yes, an absolute mouthful. In May of this year, representatives from CITES, the African Carnivores Initiative, or ACI, through the Convention on the Conservation of Migratory Species of Wild Animals, or CMS, <laughs> so many acronyms, they all came together in Uganda to discuss urgent conservation needs for lions, leopards, cheetahs, and wild dogs. The meeting notes are 33 pages long, so you don't have to read them. And I'll give you a few highlight conservation priorities that were listed in CITES press release. So the first one is strengthening policies and actions to enhance human carnivore coexistence. Next, promoting partnerships between the ACI range states and within the global conservation community. Three, improving information and tools available to range states. And lastly, securing funding for the implementation of the ACI program of work. This is fantastic news all around. I obviously wasn't there, but after reading through the press release and meeting notes, it sounds like African carnivore range states are open to collaboration and working together. Representatives from Kaza Transfrontier Conservation Area in Southern Africa and Waarli Pinjari, the WAP Complex... <laughs> I absolutely know I butchered that and I apologize. In Western Africa, explained how their systems work and shared the lessons that they have learned along the way. They encouraged the other range states in attendance to come together for wildlife conservation and community empowerment with these two programs as inspiration for what can be accomplished. Oh, just thinking about it, more transfrontier conservation areas in Africa could be huge. This was just one solution, of course, and I could do an entire episode on this important meeting since big felines are my favorite and I was just in Tanzania, but I'll wait until the next big convention of the party's meeting to see how these priorities are implemented. So stay tuned for that. Next, moving on, to make you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, wolverines are returning to the Pacific Northwest. In April, media headlines were full of stories about wolverines being spotted in Oregon for the first time in decades. From what I could find, biologists are pretty sure the two individuals are just passing through, 
But still, it's cool to see them strolling through their old stomping grounds, and who knows, maybe they'll set up shop one day soon. I know so many people whose wildlife bucket list includes the wolverine, so the more places to spot them, the better. Lastly, big news, the Brazilian government announced that Amazon deforestation is down by 33.6% in the first six months of this year as compared to the same time period last year. The decrease coincides with the country's new president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, coming into power. Da Silva is committed to protecting the Amazon forest as demonstrated by fines issued to people breaking environmental laws increasing by 116% and embargoes on illegal forest products increasing by 111%. I'm traveling to Brazil actually next month to lead a trip to the Pantanal with my company, The Wild Source. And so I'm even more excited to read this news. So be sure to follow along with me as I share lots of updates from Brazil and all of the amazing, incredible wildlife and flora, fauna, all the things that I run into. All right, everyone, thanks for joining me in this exploration of carbon credits and interesting conservation headlines. I recommend using this episode as the launch point for your own exploration of these topics. I've listed all of the resources I used to write this episode in the show notes at rewildology.com. If you have questions about the topics discussed today or would like to chat about them further, post your questions in the Rewildologist Facebook group or email me at hello at rewildology.com. Again, I want to personally thank you for being a part of the Rewildology community. Please consider supporting this show however you'd like, whether it be by subscribing on your favorite podcast app, signing up for the weekly Rewildology newsletter through the website, following the show on social media, sending a donation to help keep these stories on the airwaves, or purchasing a piece of swag to show off your Rewildology love to everyone you know. And lastly, I want to thank Focusrite for powering the podcast sound. To see the Focusrite gear I use to record the show, head on over to Rewildology.com and check out Nature Podcasting under the Resources tab. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet. <laughs>